Commitment podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We are on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, surprise, surprise, we're going to be talking about another Calvinistic Baptist in this episode. Uh, We have done that a lot recently. We've recently talked about uh, Isaac Backus with Jake Stone. We've talked about William Ward uh, with Matthew Reynolds. And we really like talking about Calvinistic Baptists. And so in this conversation, we're going to be talking about John Gill with uh, our brother Jonathan Swan. So the title of this episode is John Gill on the Spiritual Life with Jonathan Swan. Welcome to the podcast, brother. Glad to be on. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thank you for uh, joining this conversation. And uh, as is our normal practice when we have first-time interviewees on our show, we like to just begin by asking them to introduce themselves. So would you go ahead and do that for our audience now? Absolutely. Well, you've introduced my name. I am an associate pastor in the St. Louis area, currently living in O'Fallon. There's an O'Fallon right across the river in Illinois. People get it confused all the time. We are the O'Fallon, Missouri, and I serve as associate pastor of education and discipleship uh, at our church, which is a great joy um, being able to disciple people really in growing in their knowledge of scripture and how that um, relates to all of their Christian life. And so that's what I'm doing now. Uh, in previous years, however, I, I studied at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary uh, where I graduated a year ago. So uh, I'm one year out of formal theological education, which was a it was a dream come true to be able to study um, at the Southern Baptist Seminary uh, with guys like uh, Tom Nettles, Michael Haken, uh, Peter Gentry, and Steve Wellham was just a great thrill. And I'm so glad for how they uh, they all have shaped my life. But it was it was really while I was at Southern Seminary from 2013 to 2021 that led to my interest in John Gill. Um, Man, when I first went to when I first went to uh, seminary, and I, I knew I wanted to do pastoral ministry. You know, New Testament studies was uh, really what I thought I would do, and so I I really tried to beef up my my New Testament uh, classes as much as I could in theology. But then I slowly got drawn in uh, to historical theology, and one of the first things uh, that led me in that direction was a, a paper I wrote. I, I, I don't think it was probably any good, but it was really just a summary of John Gill's uh, doctrine of the offices of Christ, how Christ fulfills the office of prophet, priest, and king. And I found it just uh, fascinating. And uh, it gave me new ways really to understand uh, who Christ is for us and what he what he did in his life and ministry and continues to do uh, for us. And so that really gave me a taste of, of John Gill. And I slowly just started kind of obsessing about John Gill uh, using every, every paper topic I, I could in a sense to write on, on Gill. And so I did, so I did my MDiv studies there in, in, in Louisville um, and eventually um found myself in the PhD program 
at Southern in church history and historical theology under uh, Dr. Michael Haken, who was uh, my advisor. And uh, at, the, at this time, this was around 2016, Dr. Haken was advising me to either pick a big topic or a big person. And I, I, I chose both. I, I picked John Gill, who, of course, is, uh, I mean, there's so much to, to talk about and to write about uh, with respect to Gill. But then I also chose the topic of Trinitarianism, which is a big topic. Um, and so that's what I spent uh, a lot of time doing the last, uh, the last number of years. And I'm really glad I did. Um, you know, I, uh, I've learned so much from John Gill and, uh, really excited to be able to, uh, talk about it a little bit on this show with you guys today. Well, we're really grateful to have you here today, Dr. Swan. Uh, you're a subject matter expert in many ways regarding John Gill, so it's only fitting to have you on to discuss him today. And we've had multiple conversations on Gill here recently. There seems to be a lot of interest surrounding him these days. And we're just curious, do you think this is just a temporary hoopla that people are just getting excited about a, a passing fad? Or, or do you think that there's going to be a legitimate retrieval about Gill here moving forward? Um, would love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, especially in light of the the work you're doing with H&E and uh, London Lyceum and some of the other groups as well that are devoted to Gill. Yeah, Dewey, thanks. That's a that's a great question. Um, as I've gotten into the uh, uh, the discipline of historical theology through the years, you know, I remember growing up um, as an MDiv student in my studies, and there was a really big uh, renaissance of jo of John Owen there for a while. Um, and there still is, you know, uh, Crossway's about to publish or is publishing currently this new critical edition of John Owen. And for the longest time, I was obsessing with John, about John Owen as well. Uh, and actually, I just had a I had my third boy a couple months ago and we've named him Owen because I love John Owen so much. Um, but all that to say, you know, there there was this real big boom in in Owen studies. Uh, I, I've seen it taper off a little bit. But you know what? I'm so thankful that we had that that boon there because now there's so many more people who are reading or who are familiar and aware of who John Owen is. I think something similar is going on with John Gill to an extent. Um, you know, really thanks to to Michael Haken there at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He started the Fuller Center of of, of Baptist Studies, and he kind of revived this this history of particular Baptists to some extent. I mean, there, of course, there's always people working on it, but he um, highlighted Andrew Fuller. And so now lots of people in, that, in those circles are very familiar with Andrew Fuller, his life, his legacy, and his thought. And over the, these last few years, we've seen a shift to John Gill. Um, I don't know how long John Gill will be popular, but he's really benefited from some renewed discussions on a, in, on a few key areas. One is the Trinity. So I think as long as Baptists are studying and are interested in the Trinity, people are going to be interested in Gill because of how much he had to say about it and how important historically he was. Um, secondly, you have this renewed interest in uh, scholasticism, which is, of course, associated uh, somewhat with this Trinitarian uh, revival and and Gill being a Protestant scholastic uh, to some degree to some extent 
um, will benefit from any interest in that. So I, I think that as long as those those things are of interest, Gil will be of interest. You know what I find is is the more people that I talk to either in ministry or who are who are planning Sunday schools, people are finding things online for free now. I, I run into people all the time who are reading Gil's commentaries on the web. Uh, my own grandfather, he he uh, he plans a Sunday school uh, every week, and he's uh, he's reading John Gill all the time. I'm finding people reading John Gill all the time. Um, so the internet has helped, of course, tremendously. I I do think, though, uh, long term, that um, people are going to be benefiting from Gill for a long time. Even speaking with seminary seminary professors, guys in systematic theology, there's a there's a little bit more historical interest. Um, in guys like John Gill, because again, of this real focus on the doctrine of God, and people want to go back, and they want to see how was the church interpreting certain texts, uh, what was their uh, metaphysical framework for understanding things like person and nature distinctions, and so um, I, I can see I can see John Gill being read for a long time, and 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 benefiting people either uh, academics, uh, pastors, or just interested readers. And so I'm, I'm very excited. And with this project with H&E um, and with London Lyceum, I think that they will, this will do uh, even more to put Gill uh, in the hands of really your ordinary uh, reader, which will, which will be tremendous. I mean, people, you, when, you, when you hear about a guy like John Gill, you have massive sets of commentary or you have this big body of divinity, and so much of it can seem really intimidating, and you don't know where to get into it. Well, you know, what the hope is with some of these projects is to give, is to help people ease in and to understand maybe the significance of some of his individual works and how uh, perhaps they can be helpful for uh, Christians today. So, Jonathan, you, you've talked about um, the recent interest of John Gill, and, and you kind of alluded to it earlier about your personal interest in him, but maybe to focus in on that a little bit more, why are you interested in John Gill in particular, and, and what are you trying to accomplish with this project you've been working on? Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll give a little bit of a personal uh, reflection there and then talk about the project a little bit. Uh, you know, as I was going through a little bit of my, uh, my biography there, uh, once I had started reading Gill, I I just found his stuff really spiritually edifying and doctrinally helpful, and so my interest in a lot of ways is just to be is to is to find someone who can kind of mentor me and teach me the Bible. Like uh, one of the reasons that I went into historical studies as a as a uh, doctoral discipline was, you know, I wanted to study uh, some of the greatest theologians and pastors of the church uh, throughout history, which I thought could be really enriching to me in pastoral ministry or in academic studies. And so, you know, for me, my interest in Gill is, one, I wanted to learn from a, a great Baptist, a guy who gave himself to the church. I mean, Gill pastored the same church for 51 years. And so there's this faithfulness, there's this um, constancy to Gill's life. Uh, that is really admirable, that is exemplary. And if I can sit under someone uh, who has sort of 
you know, uh, fought the good fight and, and, and ran the race, uh, Gil is a, is a great person to land on. And so for me, there's, there's theological interests. Um, there's also historical interests, of course. Uh, I mean, I do have an interest in, in Baptist history and Gill was a, a, a key figure in the, in the 18th century, was really important uh, to keeping Baptists, frankly, orthodox, especially on the doctrine of the Trinity. When we had um, Sabellians and Socinians running around, it was largely Gill's influence that stabilized Baptists and kept them around, really, so that uh, the great work of uh, revivalism through uh, Fuller and Carey and those guys could even occur. And so there's some historical reasons for interest uh, in Gill. There's these theological reasons for interest in Gill. Another one, just to give another uh, personal interest, I have, um, through my studies, become fascinated by the Protestant scholastics. And, uh, you know, the work of Carl Truman and, and uh, Richard Muller and so many other people through the years have begun to popularize, if that's even possible, with these scholastics. Um, Gill gives you a little picture into not only that tradition, but Gill gives you a picture almost into the whole church tradition because he's read it all. So Gill is, is a guy who read the, the church fathers, whether they were Greek or Latin, in translation— and he read the medieval fathers. He read the, the scholastic writers. And so when you're reading Gill, you're getting an education into an entire, uh, in, into almost all of church history to some extent, because he's read it all. He's inculcated it all uh, into, into his thinking. And whether he agrees with it or not, he might educate you on what not to think from somebody. So Gill uh, is, uh, is known for when he's explicating a view, he'll say, it's not this. It's not that. It's not this. It's not that. And finally, he'll get to his point. But by the time you, you get there, uh, you've learned a bunch of different views uh, from church history or from his own time period. So there's uh, personally, there, there's so much to be interested in Gill because of how learned he was, how well read he was, and how deeply he knows scripture. Um, it's uh, the density of biblical knowledge in any of his writings is just profound. And uh, so for me, I'm, I'm personally interested in that way. But with respect to the, the John Gill project, um, this this started really as, as, as far as I'm aware as the, the brainchild of the London Lyceum. And I give them tons of credit uh, for what they're doing. I mean, these guys are uh, really concerned about uh, theology, but also Baptist history. And they decided last year that they are this year, 2020, uh, too, that they wanted to tackle a big, a big project. And that was getting the works of John Gill out into the mainstream so that anyone who has any desire or interest to read Gill can do that in an accessible way. And there's a there's a few different things that we're trying to do to get that out there. I mean, the, the big hope is to have a abridgment of John Gill's systematic theology called his body of doctrinal and practical divinity. Um, just to uh, this past weekend, uh, we saw the pre-release of a little booklet called What is Theology? Uh, and in that little booklet, I have I introduced Gill with a short biography and then a short introduction to that actual work. And that little work, What is Theology? is actually the introduction 
to Gill's systematic theology. And we've excerpted it, um, and it's really handsomely put together. But Gill is going to introduce you to uh, why, why, why theology? Why even do this, this thing? Uh, what is theology? Uh, why systematic theology? He'll talk about um, what kind of theology did Adam Uh, the history of redemption uh, through Christ and talk, do a little bit of historical theology. So there's a lot of little things that uh, Gill is doing to introduce his reader to his massive work uh, of theology in what it was called the body of doctrinal and practical divinity. So that now is available on hesedandemmet.com uh, for pre-order. So that's the first thing we're doing. We are getting uh, John Gill's introduction to theology uh, out into public. I think it's I think it's right around a hundred pages. There's small pages. It's very it's a very manageable uh, little booklet, um, which we ho I hope will get people really interested in Gill. Um, and then uh, we have the body divinity. We have this. What is theology? There's a there's a about five or so little books that we're going to put together with little excerpts, again, from Gill's Body of Divinity um, on, on Gill's view of uh, spirituality, the spiritual life. And there are a number of different topics uh, that we'll include in there. Each of them will, I believe, include a, a short introduction to just orient the reader to what Gill's going to be doing. And again, the whole point of all of this is to introduce uh, to a new audience, a non-academic audience, who John Gill is, why he was important historically, why he might be enriching to your own spiritual life today, and how you can read him uh, for spiritual benefit. And so uh, London Lyceum in tandem with uh, Hesed and Emmett Publishing, and my role technically is as, as a fellow with the Andrew Fuller Center, um, together a, a number of different Individuals are coming together to, to uh, you know, uh, excerpt these things, introduce uh, these these different uh, works, so that the church people in the church can benefit from reading John Gill here, hundreds of years later. Yeah, that's really helpful. Uh, we were excited to see on social media uh, pictures of the booklet. What is theology? And yeah. uh, I'm happy to learn from your answer in that question that that is going to be a, there's going to be a series that continues John Gill on the spiritual life covering uh, different aspects that John Gill can help us on related to that subject. Uh, you previously talked about how John Gill is specifically significant for Baptists to understand the doctrine of the Trinity. And so um, if you want to go, if you want to talk more about that, you can at this point, but um, if you're able to, maybe you can allude to some, a direction with the series on the spiritual life. If you're not, then you can just generally answer, what does John Gill have to teach us about uh, the spiritual life? Well, let me kind of blend the two together, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, I mean, I spent the last uh, couple of years uh, reading and thinking through John Gill's Trinitarian theology. Um, and Gill was a churchman. Um, when you get into studies of Gill, uh, and Protestant scholasticism, Gill is different than a lot of guys uh, in that he wasn't writing to an academic audience at all. Uh, he was preaching sermons to his church, 
He was for a number of years giving public lectures, a non-denominational non uh, public lectures. People from different denominations uh, benefited from Gil's ministry. He was invited to do that for uh, many years. But Gil approached the topic of the Trinity from a, a spiritual, biblical, and pastoral perspective. Um, you know, in the 18th century, uh, there in, in, in England, there was a form of rationalism that uh, conceived of the, the Trinity as being illogical and making no sense. There was a a, a form of what I what I, you I, you can call biblicism, where um, the standard or received uh, way of understanding the Trinity was uh, being denied. So so basic. Uh, term, terminology such as uh, personhood to talk about the Father, Son, and Spirit, or uh, terms like unity and essence. And so Gill uh, Gil, Gil thought it was really important to hold on to these uh, classical terms to understand what the Bible was teaching. And what Gill would say is, listen, if you're going to uh, if you're going to get rid of terminology that the church has used, you have to replace it with something. And he he would quote this a little Latin phrase that was translated something like he who coins new words coins new ideas. And uh, so Gill was really uh, pretty conservative and led his church in that direction. There was a time in, in, in their church's life, actually, where they had to discipline uh, church members over the denial of the eternal sonship of Christ. The central issue. Um, in in Gill's ministry related to the Trinity was the idea of eternal generation. How is it that uh, God the Son is fully divine, yet a distinct person eternally within the Trinity? And Gill wrote his first book on the Trinity in 1731. Uh, it was a, 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 a treatise on the, uh, 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 the doctrine of the Trinity, stated and vindicated. It was written because... There was a physician, I believe his name was William Davis, who wrote a, a book from a Sibelian perspective, and Gill wanted to clear the air at this time. And so he wrote this beautiful uh, work on the Doctor of the Trinity, which starts essentially from Gill's understanding how God is one divine essence, um, how he's a plurality of persons. And then he goes into each of the persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, in a number of different chapters. Well, over time, uh, this issue of uh, the son's eternal generation becomes uh, an even larger uh, point of contention. And when Gil finally comes to uh, write his body of doctrinal divinity in 1769, just two years before he dies, he adds an entire section on what it means for the son uh, to be distinct eternally. In, essentially, in this part of his body, divinity, um, he says, without eternal generation, uh, we do we we cannot rightly uh, distinguish between the persons uh, within the Trinity, and you really lose uh, you lose all distinction without without generation. It's it's generation that distinguishes the Father from the Son, and uh, the Father from the Spirit, and so the 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 doctrine of eternal generation was key for Gill. For him, he would say that it was a uh, generation of person, not essence. Um, and one key area where, where Gill was very different 
from many of the scholastic forebears that he really respected was um, the scholastics would, would generally say that part of what eternal generation is, it's this communication of the essence from the father to the son. And John Gill, um, because of the way that people were construing that in his time said, no, uh, there's no communication of essence. The son is not derived in any way from uh, the father with respect to his divine nature. He is autotheos. So he's repeating this Calvinistic uh, autotheos statement. Um, and he says, listen, the, uh, if we're talking about the son and his divinity, he is the fountain of life, the same as the father. He has the essence in the exact same way as the father. There is no communication of essence. And here is where I, I would argue, and I follow the work of uh, Brandon Ellis has a very helpful volume on Calvin and classical Trinitarianism. Gill is really, I believe, very clearly uh, taking these autotheos claims to a very clear and uh, somewhat logical conclusion. Now, um, I'm not sure that I agree with Gill, but Gill is at least very clear on what he believes um, and, 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 and provides some uh, development uh, to uh, reform scholasticism in his own writings. But the doctrine of the Trinity for Gill, and I write this in my dissertation, was not, is not a, a theoretical, a mere theoretical uh, doctrine for him. He would say that it, it impacts the entire Christian life. He has this incredible quote uh, in, his, in his Body of Divinity where he says, you know, some people would say that the doctrine of the Trinity is just this, uh, this speculative manner, but really it, it hits at the heart of of all of our salvation, the Father uh, predestining, the Son coming and being our satisfaction, and the Spirit applying all the blessings of the covenant uh, to us. And so, you know, Gill's doctrine of the Trinity was uh, central. I mean, I, I would, I would say that Gill is um, thoroughly a Trinitarian theologian. It's hard to read really any of his commentary, his sermons, most especially not his, you can't read his, his doctrinal works without him relating each doctrine really to a Trinitarian perspective. And uh, as he's Trinitarian, he's also uh, centered on, on, on the person and the work of Christ. And so he's very uh, Christocentric, I guess you can say. And so uh, at least one thing that I can say with regard to to John's, uh, John Gill's spirituality is that it is anchored, it is founded in the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, all spiritual life is life that comes from God by a, a gift of grace. And, um, you know, Gill, uh, rather than, um, you know, founding his, his ideas of what the spiritual life should be on feeling on sentiment um he's thoroughly doctrinal i mean you when you get to this the actual um practical divinity section of uh his his systematic theology so just to preface this real quick um john gill uh, like i've said uh, previously was 51 years in a pastorate preaching weekly and giving lectures weekly and turning lots of those things into different books. Well, 
he had published an entire commentary of the Bible prior to then sitting down and preaching sermons that would become his systematic theology. So with John Gill, you have this guy who has tons of loads of sermons, but then he has written expositions that were compiled and, 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 and made into books prior to putting together the systematic theology. Well, when he goes to write his systematic theology, let me, uh, if you don't mind me reading uh, the beginning of his, uh, his systematic theology, he says this, which is this incredible statement. He says, having completed an exposition of the whole Bible, the books of both of the Old and of the New Testament, I considered with myself what would be best next to engage in for the further instruction of the people under my care. And my thoughts led me to enter upon a scheme of doctrinal and practical divinity. First, the former, then the latter, the one being the foundation of the other and both having a close connection with one another. So right there, Gil saying, well, what else am I going to do in my pastoral ministry? I've written a, I've written a, a commentary on the whole Bible. I guess now I'll write a systematic theology for everybody. They'll love that. So he does that. And then he, uh, he, he kind of outlines what he's going to do there. He says it's going to be doctrinal and practical. So what he has there is a systematic theology of, of your standard heads of doctrine. So scripture, doctrine of God uh, for Gil, then he'll go into the uh, eternal works of God, uh, the, the works of Christ, doctrine of man, so on, so on and so forth. And then in his final volume, it's a, it's a uh, he calls it practical divinity, but it's a practical theology. So he talks about things such as uh, how, what, is, what is worship of God? What does that look like in the Christian life? And he'll talk about what is public worship. So he has a section on baptism, Lord's Prayer. Uh, praying the offices in the church. He even has stuff uh, on the duties of husbands and wives or of citizens to the government. So really it's it's a very it's a comprehensive uh, view of the Christian life. Um, and you can see you know Gill would say that our, our doctrine is going to influence practice. So let me let me read this quote that I think is uh, it's it's a it's a crucial quote for anyone who wants to understand sort of the heart of Gill's theology, and the connection between doctrine and practice. And so Gill says this: this is the introduction. This is part of uh, the book that is uh, what is theology that's being released in the next couple of weeks. Gill says doctrine has an influence upon practice, especially evangelical doctrine, spiritually understood, affectionately embraced and powerfully and feelingly experienced. So true is what the apostle asserts, that the grace of God, that is, the doctrine of the grace of God, that bringeth salvation, the good news, the glad tidings of salvation by Christ, which is peculiar to the gospel doctrine, hath appeared to all men, Gentiles as well as Jews, in the external ministry of the word. And so you can see uh, Gill again, doesn't believe doctrine is just a, a study, a discipline, a thing we do, uh, it, it enters into our Christian life. And it's really these, these evangelical doctrines, these doctrines of the gospel, as we understand them spiritually, and as we embrace them affectionately, as he says, we can, we can then experience them. We can then experience them through 
the Trinity, you would say, communion with God uh, is a is a is a Trinitarian exercise uh, that we have. Gill's uh, chapter on communion with God really reminds you of John Owen's book, uh, Communion with God. It's his last chapter in his uh, uh, Practical Divinity. And so again, just to bring this full circle back to what some some things that we could say about Gill's spirituality. Well, Gill's gonna Gill. Uh, writes his entire doctrinal divinity. And then he moves over to the practical side. And then what he's doing is he's just applying those biblical truths uh, to our inner spiritual life and to our, our public spiritual life as insofar as it pertains to our duties to uh, other Christians, other, other people that we, we have to interact with and as it pertains to uh, public worship. And so, um, Let's just give you an example. When you go to uh, a section that he has on spiritual joy, he's gonna say, "What is it? What is it for a Christian to have spiritual joy?" Well, he's gonna he's gonna he'll define it, but then the, the 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 whole way that he moves through it is just setting your mind on the on the things of God. And so he'll say, uh, "Here are things that we can rejoice in: the the attributes of God, the everlasting love of God." the saints' election of God, uh, the grace of God that God uh, has made with his chosen in Christ. And so Gill's spirituality, these works, are really applying the, these, these great doctrines of grace uh, to our lives and, and getting us to reflect on the truths of Scripture so that we will, again, affectionately embrace these things and, and uh, adore uh, this great God in our hearts. And so Gil will lead you into, into a deep uh, contemplation of the truths of Scripture. And that's, again, one of the reasons why I would encourage people to, uh, to dive into Gil, because he will, uh, he will lead your heart into the Word and to God. That's very well said, Dr. Swan. And I, what I really appreciate speaking as a pastor and, and speaking as someone who is currently in seminary and knowing that a lot of our listeners are seminarians as well, or, or they have been to seminary and they're serving as pastors, is that Gil rooted his doctrine in the word of God. And, and it began with doing exegetical work. In other words, he didn't just skip the exegetical work and delve into you know deep theological or even philosophical topics and and, and saw himself as needing to speak to audiences that were in an ivory tower, but he took the the truths of scripture, doing the hard work of exegesis. He made it applicable to the church. He communicated in a way that the church could understand. And then, as you said, he applied it. And I think that's a great model for current pastors who, who may be more academically inclined to remember that it's your task is to take the word of God, make it understandable to God's people, help them understand how it applies to their life. Yes, there are technical truths and there are highly theological and philosophical truths we have to be aware of and we have to be able to communicate but principally we're trying to make scripture understandable and applicable for the building up of the local church so i i really love that i love how you drew that out and you've already kind of uh, jumped the gun for the question i was going to ask you which was for you to share some some insights or some excerpts on on gill's uh, spiritual life um, his perspective on the spiritual life his understanding of the spiritual life Maybe if you want to comment on that further, you can, but I would be interested to hear your thoughts as someone very acquainted with Gil. Um, where would you have either a layperson who may be intimidated with Gil 
or, or maybe someone who, who is more academically inclined but just isn't familiar with Gill wants to know where they can start, where would you have them to go just to get better acquainted with Gill? I know you've, you've already touched on this quite a bit up to this point, but I'd, I'd just be interested to hear your thoughts at greater length here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, well, you're, I mean, you're 100% right with regard to um, you know, what we're supposed to do with the biblical text as far as applying it. You know, I, uh, I, I really try to model – uh, you know, even my own teaching, preaching after sort of that, that Puritan threefold model of exposition, doctrinal explication, and then getting into uses and application. And Gill does, does so much of that throughout uh, his writings. Um, where can people start with Gill? So I've thought through, you know, what would a, what would a class on Gill look like? Um, how, how would I orient new people to Gill? And one of the, th the things that always comes to the top of my mind is actually the the little excerpt that I read about uh, doctrine and practice and how they go together. And so I'm not just saying this because we have a book coming out, but we have a book coming out called What is Theology? And uh, I actually would I would I would recommend starting there uh, because, again, it will it will orient to 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 Gill's um, uh, theological program and. It, it, it does kind of help you see how he sees doctrine in practice wedded together, which I think is one of the big problems that we have um, in, in the Christian church today is you have you might have some people who love theology and and the people that I know who love theology are, are actually very practically minded. They they evangelize and they're they're involved in Christian service and all the rest. But there is this idea that somehow study is antagonistic to a deep uh, flourishing Christian life or to the mission of the church. And that's just not true. And Gill's writings, I think are evidence of that. And so that's one, uh, one reason why I like to, I like to point people to that section of Gill's writing. So even before this book was written or this, this little book that was put together, I would say, read the introduction to Gill's body divinity. Now, outside of that, I think uh, I do think that reading his body of divinity uh, is a is a good thing to do to give a a great scope uh, of his of his writings. It is massive. Um, now things are uh, he he does have things outlined, and so there's there's there are stopping points along the way for you to get some rest. Uh, but you you also might start with a, a commentary, and you know what a great commentary of Gill's to read would be his, his commentary on Hebrews. Gill's commentary on Hebrews is so, uh, so enriching. Uh, I, I, I would encourage anyone who's interested in reading Gill. If you really want to get into theology, you can pick up his body divinity anywhere and start on whatever topic you're interested in. Um, but his expositions of Hebrews are excellent. Um, I almost did my dissertation on that topic um, I, I have really enjoyed uh, reading the expositions of Hebrews because of how he goes into Christ's work as priest. And so all of the exposition in Hebrews that are talking about how Christ is the great high priest of the new covenant, that would be an excellent place to start, not only because it's the book of Hebrews, it's a wonderful New Testament book that attests to the work of Christ, but it actually introduces you to a... a uh, some pretty big 
uh, building blocks in Gill's own thought with regard to the, the offices of Christ. And so you'll see his Trinitarian theology come out. You'll see his Christology come out. And then specifically, you'll start to see some of what he believes about uh, the differences of in the Old and New Testament. So I've given three options, and let me review them. One, the shortest little introduction uh, to, to how Gill thinks through things would be, read that introduction to his theology. Uh, you'll understand why he believes theology is important, how it connects to doctrine and to practice, and then how he views history to some extent. Uh, but then you could, you could, if you wanted to, you can go, you can get, go and get the full body divinity and read through a, a, a whatever, whatever you want. I mean, he starts with the, uh, I believe the unity uh, or the, the, the doctrine of scripture, and then he gets into God's essence. All that's helpful. Um, but if you wanted something um, expositionally, his exposition on Hebrews would be in a tremendous, tremendous place to start. Thank you for those recommendations, brother, and just this whole conversation has, has been a blessing to myself, and I'm sure it'll be a blessing to our listeners. With that said, do you have any final thoughts, exhortations, or encouragements related to John Gill as he viewed the spiritual life or, or his work on theology or his work as a pastor because he was a pastor for several decades, um, just quite a man. Do you have any thoughts on that or encouragements? Yeah. Um, whenever, I, whenever I think of, uh, of John Gill, what he did, I am, I'm really humbled, honestly. Uh, his learning was immense. Um, as you as you study him, if you want to actually study what he does, he'll he can wear you out, only because this is a guy who had intimate knowledge of, of the Hebrew language and derivative languages, uh, the the Greek language. He knew Latin, so he he was able to read everybody in translation. Um, but again, all of that is so humbling because uh, you you see how far the Lord has allowed some people to go. And you put yourself in a position, really, of learning. Um, of course, there are things that people could teach John Gill if he were alive today. But um, I, have, I, I have just been thankful to sit, uh, really, in a position as a student under John Gill. And I would, I would encourage uh, any of our listeners. I know that there's, uh, there is a reputation, a negative reputation of Gill, among some quarters of uh, this, the purported hyper-Calvinism. And regardless of your view, I would say on those things, you can read probably close to 99% of everything Gil wrote and never encounter anything obscure in that regard. And so I would say, don't be scared to read John Gill because of uh, any of these accusations. Uh, the man was... Uh, thoroughly biblical in his methodology um, and has so much to offer uh, on doctrine and on practice. And so I would say, don't be afraid uh, to dig into John Gill, if, whether you find his, his, his commentary somewhere, his sermons, his body of divinity, uh, open them up uh, and learn and uh, man, let him lead you uh, into the presence of the Lord. Amen. Um, we have been speaking with Jonathan Swan, Dr. Jonathan Swan, on John Gill on the spiritual life. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, guys.
And to our listeners, we wish you grace and peace.